0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Wired BioHealth Podcast. My name is Jacqueline Hall and I am joined by your show's host, Dr. Evelyn Higgins. Hey, Jackie. How was your weekend, Doc? Good, good. How about yours? It was good. You know, the sunny South Florida weather can't beat it. (laughs) Every day. Every day. (laughs) Sunny and 75. Um, But all jokes aside, today is going to be a really interesting Mm, episode on the podcast. We have a guest that I am so excited to bring on. Not only is he a friend of Wired BioHealth, but his background is unmatched absolutely um so i'll give our listeners a little bit of his bio so dave clausen creator of djc solutions is an established speaker author coach veteran and facilitator with a passion for linking arms with others to help them live an abundant life prior to his current roles dave's drive and discipline were developed during his employment as a sergeant in the illinois army national guard as one of the few handpicked for the sniper team Mm, wow while the catalyst for his current success, Dave also suffered a traumatic brain injury while deployed leading to another battle, PTSD and substance misuse disorder. So without further ado, welcome Dave Clason.
1: Hello friends, always a pleasure to chat with you both. Glad <laughs> to be here.
2: Dave, thank you so much for coming on and and for all our listeners, thank you for your service. Yeah,
1: thank you so much. Honored to uh, have had the opportunity to serve. Yeah. Honored.
0: So, Doc, tell us kind of, and Dave as well, how did this mm-hmm. relationship even begin? Dave, take it away.
1: <laughs> hey, yes. So, I am the host of the Drug-Free America Foundation's podcast, Pathways to Prevention. And I got to interview Doc on that podcast and learn about what you all are doing. And we it just clicked. I was like, yeah. wait a second. I need to, to work with you all. Just hit the ground running from there.
2: Yeah. And and you're such a passionate host. I mean, you're, you're so invested in what you're doing to try to bring light to people. So great job there too. I think everything you do, Dave, you excel. (laughs) So
1: true. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. And for the listeners, my passion for prevention work and all the things that I do through prevention comes from my personal experiences Mm -hmm. of both sides of, uh, prevention and addiction and mental health. So that's where my passion comes from. Got to make a difference in this world.
2: Absolutely.
0: That's why we're all here, right?
1: Yes, indeed.
0: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the um, army background, because I'm very Mm -hmm. curious as to how that plays into your story.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh gosh. So we don't have a ton of time, but cliff notes version, my dad is a retired sergeant major and was an airborne ranger in Vietnam. Uh, to the point where he actually got struck by a lightning on top of Hamburger Hill while leading a ranger patrol there. Whoa, uh, so whoa. military is in my blood. Um, you could almost say, but um, bump, it's in my DNA. Um, <laughs>
2: we'll get to that.
1: <laughs> right, right. Um, but so I always wanted to join the military and serve. I enlisted in the Illinois Army National Guard when I was 17, going on 18. And fast forward to junior year of college, I got deployed to Iraq and i was 21 years old i would finally figured out i know it took me till junior year to figure out how to do the whole college thing but i finally <laughs> you know, figured it out and boom
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> right maybe ahead behind i don't know uh but yeah i got deployed to iraq and uh, like i said in the intro uh, i was army infantry i was on our company recon sniper team my first week in country i was driving a humvee and we got hit with an improvised explosive device it got blown up At the time, I didn't know that I had suffered a traumatic brain injury and I was actually back out on patrol that very next day. I was in country for a year, led over 180 combat patrols. We could really dig into that if you want, but we'll save those stories probably for another podcast. Um, But yeah, so that was my year long deployment. Came back, jumped right back into college. This was like 2005, 2006. Not as much was talked about when it came to traumatic brain injuries or TBIs Mm -hmm. or even PTSD. Mm -hmm. So I was struggling with those by myself in the college environment, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: which really just kind of encouraged me to drink more. Right. Um, And so then I struggled with drinking for years, for years. But uh, that's a very Cliff Notes background of how military service plays into my story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, that is so important because when you think about not just the TBI itself, but then being mm-hmm. untreated and right. then exacerbated in a wartime mm-hmm. environment, I can only imagine what was happening on an emotional level, a social level, mm-hmm. but then a physiological level as right. well. Right. So doc, what are kind of the hallmarks of a TBI for our listeners who don't know? Symptomatically? Yeah. Uh, well, depression,
2: typically, anxiety, anxiety um, insomnia and to, to different levels, Mm -hmm. but, um, those would be just
0: for openers, probably lack of focus. Um, yeah. Yeah. To me, that's so scary because it would be so easy to write off those symptoms as just kind of a casualty of war, if you will. Right. Of course, these are going to be emotions Mm -hmm. that you feel and totally dismiss, this TBI event that just occurred and then the physiological impacts of it. Sure. So kind of like, okay, well, let's treat that
2: insomnia. Here, take this. Let's treat Mm -hmm. that depression. Here, take this. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, you're self-medicating through your entire um, rest of your college years and then beyond that as a result. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So being in the college environment made it very easy for me to, to drink. Mm -hmm. Um, it was almost socially acceptable to self-medicate with alcohol Uh, and I didn't have the awareness to even know what I was struggling with. Mm -hmm. I just knew I wasn't happy and something wasn't right. And I turned to alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, the symptoms of TBI for me, sleep. Terrible sleep, didn't matter what I did. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get more than like four, four and a half hours cumulative of sleep per night. Right. And then that would cascade into lack of focus, confusion, right. low energy, you know, all those symptoms that you listed off. And I just thought that was meh. This is just how it's going to be. Yeah. So be it. Embrace the suck, drive on. Just
2: right, right. You Jelf got a mission to so do it. Right, right would you say that you were living in more isolation, maybe surrounded by people, but were you in isolation with your environment?
1: Yes. So I actually lived out in the middle of the woods, just Mm -hmm. me and my dog. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved it. I kind of miss it a little bit. Um, (laughs) So physically isolated, even though I'd interact with my peers and whatnot, but even more so emotionally isolated. Mm -hmm. I never formed very close bonds with, with friends. Mm-hmm. It was hard for me to one open up and be vulnerable and feel like I right. belonged, which of course hindered connection and relationship building. But then also it was like, I, I was carrying this weight on my shoulders and I, that it was just holding me back from being happy or feeling just joy. Mm-hmm. And so that also made it kind of harder to connect.
2: Who was the first person or practitioner that brought the idea of, um, a TBI to light for you, Dave, and started putting those pieces together.
1: Me. Yeah, um,
2: yeah. and that's the story of most mm-hmm. people that go through the VA. True,
1: sure. And what, What's interesting, uh, so I was a police officer for a while on a college campus, and I was always sort of had this level of self-doubt because we'd go through, you know, DUI training, both, you know, cannabis and alcohol. And, you know, one of the first things, oh, I detect the odor of an alcohol-based beverage, or mm-hmm. I detect the odor of cannabis. I never could. yeah, And it, it bothered me because, like, am I going to miss a DUI because I can't smell it? And I saw something online saying one of the the symptoms of traumatic brain injuries could be a loss of sense of smell. It's like, wait, what's a TBI? Right. So
2: right.
1: Then I looked into it and then I went to the VA. It's like, hey, um, can we talk about this? Wow, <sighs> That's how I figured it out.
2: And here you are in Iraq and get blown up and think, OK, we're good. <laughs> you know, next day. You know, not even talking Mm -hmm. about it. Not even anybody to Mm -hmm. say, hey, let's do a a quick assessment here.
1: Yep. That was June 2005 when that happened. And so, yeah, there was not very much talk of of TBIs at all. Mm -hmm. And I'd say our knowledge troop-wise, in-country of even PTSD, we've heard about it. Okay, yeah, that's something you know, after a war. But, yeah, going back out on patrol that next day. right
0: Right. yeah that in and of itself can create ptsd you you just Mm -hmm. look at how many events took place in succession now couple it with Mm -hmm. a physiological predisposition to Mm -hmm. self-medicate right that was the perfect storm right absolutely every level and so i'm curious was it the tbi diagnosis and then the ptsd and then coming into um alcohol use disorder recovery or what what was that timeline like
1: yeah so the timeline was me struggling with drinking not feeling happy without having any formal diagnosis of any ptsd tbi any of that but i tried to change multiple times by myself never quite got to sobriety mm-hmm. for uh, any sustained period of time then in 2017 was when i finally the light bulb clicked about the whole TBI issue. And I brought that to the VA and went down to the Polytrauma Institute and they ran all their tests and whatnot. And finally, yes, TBI is in fact, uh, what had occurred. So that was 2017. Of course the event happened in 2005 and I'd been struggling that entire period. Wow! Um, So then I started getting help from the VA around sleep. Uh, they looked at that as sort of the the first big domino to try to tackle. Um, and then that would hopefully have that cascading effect. And so I just got to work learning about sleep, hygiene, sleep habits, sleep routines. And mm-hmm. that is what kind of kicked off my, my growth. Um, mm-hmm. As far as diagnosis as well, the, the PTSD came with the TBI. So the TBI is what kind of, led to, oh, hey, let's screen you for PTSD, anxiety, and depression as well. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, one of the things that frustrates me so much in how we create a service connection behavioral health is that Mm -hmm. it's all still based on vocabulary, like any other Mm -hmm. area of mental health care, unlike what we do. Um, But the issue is, what if you have someone with high resiliency, an individual Mm -hmm. such as you, Dave, that is held against you when you're trying to get Mm -hmm. the appropriate rating? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And what an injustice to somebody who has done all of this personal work, that post-traumatic growth on your own. And then you say, well, I still need help. Now they're kind of saying, well, you don't need that much help when physiologically you very much need that much help. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Penalized right, for your resiliency. Yeah.
1: Right. My ability to um, to drive on to embrace the suck and just do what needs to be done Um, you know, they ask, you know, how is this impacting your quality of life? Your, your day-to-day life? You're still able to function. Well, yes, it just is not fun or easy. It's hard. Okay. Well, you're good. 0%. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. It's just such an injustice because we think about first responders in general, you're more likely to choose a job that puts you in those high stress situations because you Mm -hmm. have these resilient factors. Right. And so Mm -hmm. to think that now, if we have an objective tool to say, although I am a resilient person, still physiologically, there's a lot of areas that require support. And so I'm curious when you underwent testing and you brought it back to the VA, how was that received and how did you potentially pivot to say, well, I need more support. Let me go out on my own.
1: So great question. Um, I kind of want to hit pause on that question and touch on something else you brought up real quick, if At you don't mind.
2: Do yeah. It.
1: Yeah. yeah. Hold on to that question though. Cause I'll forget it. Um, <laughs> you brought up uh, emotions as far as diagnosing and for a, a, a combat veteran, a, a, a sniper and infantry, we don't talk about emotions. Right. A lot of that has to do with, Survival in country is having to keep those compartmentalized, mm-hmm. and so we don't let ourselves really feel the full breadth of emotions. We try to tamper them down just so we can function. Mm-hmm. And so then coming back to civilian life, mm-hmm. then having to to learn how to one let myself have emotions, right, right. then understand what these those emotions, those feelings actually meant, mm-hmm. and then I had to learn how to articulate that and talk about them, which, Alibi, I'm still learning how to talk about my emotions. <laughs> Are and we so all? all? Right? When all of that sacks up and affects treatment, that's a huge barrier if you're expecting us to come in and say, okay, sure. tell me how you feel. Yeah.
0: Right.
1: I don't know. I don't know how to say that.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I'm good. Yeah. Like, yeah, even
2: if you're not, I'm, I'm good. Yep. And that, that's yeah. the beauty of the objective data that we mm-hmm. provide because we go beyond if someone doesn't know how to articulate that
0: or mm-hmm. emotionally isn't ready to unpack mm-hmm. everything yes. that's been going on. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you think about exposure to trauma, it's you know, trauma is more than just a word to qualify a negative mm-hmm. experience. It right. very much mm-hmm. has a real and measurable biological impact. So through Wired BioHealth, we don't have to know what happened to you, that incident, but we can identify the damage that was done and then create a plan to undo it because what can be measured can be managed. So once we identified those specific biomarkers that have been negatively impacted through trauma, whatever that was for you, that's how we can really start to turn back the clock on these things. And um, you know, it's just, it's such an honor to be a part of your story of healing and continuing to grow because you were doing everything on your own to this point. I mean, Absolutely. and mm-hmm. then to say, okay, what more can be done? Just what a series of events to have led to this partnership, right? Because mm-hmm. you are, you're the poster child of the guy who just marches on. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm.
2: in reality, the body never forgets an insult. Yeah. We may mm-hmm.
0: get to move on
2: from it. Mm-hmm physically but all of those things are within mm-hmm. us yep. you know yes. and, and you were experienced that dave and and, and you know are just just told that story of really all those insults catching up and now it's okay so how do you feel and you're like not sure
0: mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. yeah and uh, with that too i i know you had that question we definitely got to come back to that um but with that too the longer that i've sustain my sobriety, the more attuned I've been to my body and how it's been keeping score and even more apparent that I'm not quite optimized back to or even where I should be, let alone where I want to be.
0: Right, right. So can you tell me, now that you've been undergoing support with us through Mm -hmm. the testing, what have been some of the noticeable improvements that Mm -hmm. you've experienced?
1: How much time we got left? Um. (laughs) As much as you need, Jay. (laughs) All right. So... Um, I'm going to weave this in to also answer your last question as well. Uh, so when I finally brought things to the VA, went to, to talk therapy to talk about sleep, didn't get much improvement there. Uh, so I kind of disengaged with the VA. Uh, years later, I did have since re-engaged the VA for mental health treatment and talk therapy and also with the prescriber as well. They first put me on Lexapro and like, Hey, you've never taken the antidepressant. Let's just start there. And that made my life worse. Mm-hmm. And the biggest factor was sleep. Mm-hmm. And so talking about what I've done and what I do is I wear a whoop fitness tracker because I wanted to get the data to help me Know what to focus on, everything from diet, sleep, exercise, mental health, stress, all of that. So I track, I've been tracking that for years and made great progress. But this um, SSRI Lexapro sent me back. Mm-hmm. I couldn't sleep. Take it in the morning, couldn't sleep, take it at night, couldn't sleep. So they switched me to Zoloft and explained, well, hey, it's got a little bit more of a, a dopamine kick, which okay. I don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. I just know I can't sleep and I can't really feel joy or happiness. Um, so they just put me on that and come back in two months, come back in two months, come back in two months. And they just kept upping my dose. Mm -hmm. Really wasn't doing much. I could sleep a little better on the, with the Zoloft than I could the Alexa pro. Mm -hmm. Um, but I still couldn't feel the joy, my, my stress or anxiety, maybe we're tampered down a little bit, mm-hmm. but I've got a pretty high stress life and I'm used to having stress. You know, my baseline tolerance is pretty good, um, that resilience piece. And so when, you know, I ran the biomarker panel with you all, the data just,
2: oh my gosh, Right,
1: eyes wide open. Yeah, I travel with it now because I, I, I love having that data say, hey, let me just explain this, what's going on here? Pairing that with all the data that I've been collecting from my fitness, my Whoop fitness tracker as well, I could see the longer and longer I've been in treatment with y'all following the treatment protocol, how my sleep, my resting heart rate, my heart rate variability have all improved drastically. Mm-hmm. And not just that, but then the additional insights that were gained from my 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 DNA, those right. SNPs right. that y'all looked at and how that could guide my nutrition. Yeah. My my intermittent fasting, my diet as well, the mm-hmm. m- inflammation markers. It it's been great. I've seen three nights within the last two weeks off the top of my head without having to pull up my data where I didn't set an alarm, didn't take any sleep aids, and I slept over eight hours. Wow. I haven't slept more than eight hours, even with sleep aids, since before Iraq. Like, wait, what is going on here? Something's working, right?
2: And isn't it interesting when the VA wanted to start, okay, here's here's ground zero. We're going to start with your sleep. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what we're talking about right now, because Mm -hmm. if you sleep and your cells get to recharge and we are Mm -hmm. optimizing those cells in every single way we can Mm -hmm. from the Mm -hmm. objective lab work that we've done, we are going to move in the right direction.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've been working on sleep for years, so intentional, very disciplined and structured. And before working with you all, a good night's sleep for me was like six and a half hours, mm-hmm. but now consistently between seven and eight hours of sleep a night and my, my, my restorative sleep. So slow wave sleep and REM sleep averages between 40 and 50% each night wow. of that deep wow. quality sleep. Like, oh. yeah. And that's just one of the, the pieces of data that I, I've been tracking.
2: One of the things that I can remember in, in the meetings that we've had all along mm-hmm. the treatment with you, Dave, is that you said your wife noticed you being joyful.
1: Yes. she She's like, you've always been funny, but you've kind of been funnier these past couple of months. And that was just during uh, phase one yep. of the treatment protocol. Yeah, Like right out of the gate. Yeah. Right out of the gate.
2: And this is despite having a bundle of joy, new addition (laughs) to your family. So as far as the reality of having a new baby, (laughs) the stress level goes here. The sleep goes there. This is all while baby Ella's in our world now.
1: Yes. Oh, um, yes. So listeners, uh, our, our very first child, Eleanor, was born May 29th, a month early and she spent a month in the NICU. Mm-hmm. I started the treatment protocol in June. So you would think my stress normally would just choo, through the roof, right? Mm-hmm. Our first child is yeah. in the NICU for a month, right. then the whole stress of bringing her home, mm-hmm. figuring out um, how to care for a newborn baby, right. <laughs> which I've never <laughs> done before. Uh, typically, I, I think it's probably safe to say that can be one of the most stressful periods of an individual's life. Sure. And for all of my stress, my metrics, all my data to be trending in positive directions during that time seems huge.
2: Huge. Huge. It really is. It really is. We hit, we were up against a fence and we did it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yep. still going to be getting better and better.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, Dave. I'm so, I'm so joyful, um, overjoyed that you decided to come on today because I really feel that there's going to be so many listeners that identify with at least one part of mm-hmm. your story. So the hope that you're giving people Absolutely. who are listening today and for as long as this podcast exists on the world wide web, um, just yeah. so grateful to you to your service to our nation and what you do every day now as an advocate, an author, and a speaker.
1: Uh, Thank you all for helping me reach my, my next level of excellence and be able to bring a little bit of joy back into my life. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We can be part of, of feel like we're doing something to give you back, Dave, what you've Mm -hmm. given all of us to have the freedom that we get to experience. So it's the least that we can do and it's just going to continue to get better and better. And the fact that you travel, with your lab results on your phone, <laughs> nothing makes me happier, Dave. Because you're like, this is real, guys. This, These are data points. This is real. Right? This yep. isn't subjective. Right? This is objective. It doesn't mm-hmm. get better than that, Dave. Yeah.
1: Oh, I mean, I pair the the biomarker panel data with my WHOOP data. And I say, look, see all these things right yep. here? Guess what? Starting to adjust for them. And all these numbers are going up here, too. Yep. The data doesn't lie. It's right there in front exactly. of you. Exactly. You can't, can't exactly. dispute it.
0: Data doesn't lie. I love that. And I think we'll leave it there. So for Dave, thank you immensely for coming on today. Dr. Higgins, this was a really great conversation. So if any listeners today have identified with some of the points that Dave brought up or Dr. Higgins mentioned, feel free to call the office. It's 1-888-841-7099. We're happy to talk about your behavioral wellness goals, maybe what's kind of holding you back from attaining those. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know this is only one part of conversations to come. So thank you so much, Dave. We appreciate it. Really appreciate hey, it, Dave. All. Yeah, getting Together's getting better. back to that joy.
2: You know, yeah. getting back to that joy. We're digging our way out. And and Dave's a shining <laughs> example. And the things that you're gonna do, Dave, you are on the you're taking the world by storm and, and we're watching. <laughs> we're so watching. I love it. I love it, Dave. Thank you so thank much. You. And Thanks, thank Dave. you
1: for Always your an service, honor. Dave.
0: Yeah. Bye. Thanks, Doc. We'll talk next time. See you next week. Jackie. Bye.